Friends, the scripture readings assigned for this third Sunday of Easter continue, as they have been for the last few weeks, to be rich with the message of resurrection for this great season of 50 days we are in the midst of. Each lesson carries within it this morning, I think, important descriptions of Christ's post-Easter appearances 2,000 years ago. But they also have important revelations, I firmly believe, that continue to speak and move us in our life and our faith right now, in this moment. Both the gospel this morning and that first reading from the book of Acts provide solid proof of Christ's physical resurrection and his bodily appearances after his death, while also laying out for those who have the ears to hear and the hearts to receive a remarkable roadmap for the mission of the church through the ages and for each of us today seeking out that hope and promise of Christ's love and his resuscitation in our own day-to-day lives. Let me just invite you, if you will, to go back with me to that first reading from the Acts of the Apostles this morning. In Acts 9, verses 1 through 20, I believe we might just be hearing what could be called the second greatest story ever told. If for no other reason than because of just who it is that we're dealing with in this important movement of the life of the church and of our faith. Really, there can be little question that it is the Apostle Paul who is arguably the most important apostle in Christian Holy Scripture after Jesus, as well as in the early shaping of the church. It's the letters of St. Paul that fill up the majority of the New Testament. And it is Paul who the book of Acts will first lay out as that very important apostle who's coming to speak to the Gentiles, opening the way to God through Jesus Christ beyond just Jerusalem and the greater Jewish diaspora of the first century and to the entire world. In Acts this morning, we're hearing again the amazing moment of conversion for Paul, then known as Saul of Tarsus. But really... I want to get something straight. Saul isn't just converting from one version of faith to another here this morning. No, not at all. For when this story is done, Saul won't even carry the same version of the name that he's had in, for so long. Rather, Saul of Tarsus is going to die in this story this morning. And after three days, we hear how Saul rises again, alive and fully reborn, this time as Paul, the apostle of Jesus, not just to the Jewish world, but to everyone who will receive the good news. This, of course, is meant to be a metaphorical image of death and resurrection, but it is a death nonetheless meant to fully connect to the actual physical death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so interconnected are these stories, this story that we call the conversion of Paul the Apostle, that it could certainly be the second greatest story ever told in the Bible. But this morning, before it all goes down, we begin with just Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus this morning is not a happy man. Acts 9 verse 1 begins with this, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Breathing threats and murder 
against the disciples of the Lord. Wow. He ain't just unhappy. He's an angry man. Saul is a man who's setting out to take these matters that he's been angered by into his own hands. Someone who's so convinced his understanding of Judaism is the only way to go that he's going to go after these new Jews proclaiming a crazy Nazarene prophet crucified, dead, and buried by the Romans as the Jewish Messiah. Saul is ready to arrest them himself, bring them back one by one to those Jewish authorities for prosecution, and then, as he already has, keep watch over the cloaks and the coats of the executioners who will certainly stone these people to death. That is the Saul of Tarsus we encounter at the beginning of the reading this morning. And there is no conversion to be had with him, no argument to be made, no conversation that has a chance of winning him over. So what actually happens is something far more earth-shaking. For the scripture says that as this Saul of Tarsus was on that road up to Damascus, breathing those threats and murder, Suddenly, a great light flashed around him, obviously penetrating his darkness and stopping Saul and his party dead in their tracks. The writer of Acts then proclaims, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This falling to the ground in the great works of Christian art through the centuries is almost always illustrated with Saul falling off a great horse, hands up in the air in utter fear, his face and body petrified. Now, I don't know how many cowboy movies you all have seen in your life, but usually a person only falls from their horse when they're struck down by a bullet or by an arrow. I think it's safe to say that Saul falling to the ground in the Acts of the Apostles this morning is meant to be the same indicator of a warrior being struck down in battle. The great light and the voice of the very individual Saul hates and is hunting after, Jesus of Nazareth, and the voice of the Lord acting like an arrow or a spear, piercing Saul in the heart and knocking him lifeless onto the cold ground. And when Saul is finally lifted up off of that ground by the men traveling with him, the Bible says that though his eyes were able to be open, he could see nothing. And then it goes on to say that for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I don't know about you, but if someone is pushed down onto the ground from their great horse and then seem to emerge in total and complete darkness, unable to eat or to drink anything, you can sort of determine this person isn't going to make it much longer in the world. That, my friends, is Saul of Tarsus after this incredible encounter he has with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I can only imagine that there was little hope for Saul of Tarsus by those leading this walking dead man onward from there into the city. As I've been thinking about this incredible story over and over again, it's made me remember people that I've known who seem to have been in that same sort of frightening way in their own lives. In one quick, sometimes tragic moment, like Saul on the road to Damascus, People who have practically fallen down dead in the midst of their struggles. Usually it's been a terrible accident by addiction that's overtaken them so profoundly. Or 
that's something that's nearly killed them through overdose or an accident or a criminal arrest. Unfortunately, a lot never make it out of that harrowing situation. I've had my own personal experience of that with a brother who four years ago overdosed on drugs and never woke up again after a long battle with addiction. But the thing that keeps me going in that very personal experience is that I've also known a few people, just a few, who somehow hit that bottom level, were struck down off their horse, and were able to somehow come up off that ground and find resuscitation and change in their lives. And friends, with all the professional help and the programs in the world, the majority of these people, if you were to ask them how it was that they have been saved, I know that they would tell you over and over again that it was including all of that help and love that they received. The most important piece is that same voice that Saul of Tarsus heard this morning. And then after that, the same hands of Ananias who brought Saul out of the darkness and restarted his life, hands that have restarted their own lives and which still manage to keep them moving forward in a struggle that never really ends. Before that, these were people who were convinced that they could handle it all themselves. They could take care and they could control it, that they knew where that enemy was and how they could overtake it each and every day, no matter how close it got. Now they know that that wasn't true. And I thank God every day for those who are able to tell you their stories now. That's where Saul of Tarsus was, I think, brothers and sisters, when he was on his road to Damascus. He was so convinced and overtaken by his own self that he felt he didn't need to make any changes, that he could not be moved. He listened to the angry religious zealots so much. He read the laws of the Torah with only the set of glasses that he himself felt connected to. He wasn't going to change nor convert, not without something drastic that could wipe all that anger and hatred that had built up in him and be replaced with something completely new and completely different. And because of that, Saul of Tarsus had to go through death he had to fall into the darkness of that tomb. He had to feel the hands of Ananias, a member of the very group that he hated and wanted to kill, suddenly in his moment of despair, reaching forward and helping Saul out of that darkness that he found himself in. He had to personally reach that light that comes when scales begin to fall out of your eyes, and he had to be filled with the new breath of life that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Only then... Did he finally get it? This morning's second greatest story ever told ends with this. Then Saul got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, regained his strength. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Now we read this closely and we forget what happened before this. This was a man who was angry. He was a man who'd already been present when these people of the following Jesus had been struck down. What an incredible story that was. What an incredible story it is that we're in the midst of. And really, it's our story too. It is a roadmap for new discipleship, for those who are seeking after light in the midst of the darkness of this world, and for 
a message of love that's expanding into the entire world. Saul died and in three days he was raised up into a totally new person. He was baptized. He received the food he needed for true sustenance, the bread and the wine. Yes, an image of Holy Communion in the very beginning of the New Testament. And he is strengthened enough to be a resurrected human being, not just converted and changed from some bad habits, but completely reborn into the Apostle Paul, taking on a new name, which though simply the Greco-Roman version of his Hebrew name, Saul, becomes his chosen name that can erase all that is old and gone before him and turn him into the spreader of the good news of Jesus who has saved his life and removed the scales from his eyes. Brothers and sisters, Maybe one of you has been a Saul of Tarsus. Maybe one of you has been an Ananias who was there to reach out and to help. Maybe one of you have been one of the observers just standing, watching from afar. Or maybe one of you are riding on your own horse on the road to Damascus right now. No matter where you are, you can be raised up off the ground by only one voice. And that is the voice of the one who moved through death, who descended into hell and then rose again and destroyed death. Jesus Christ. And each and every time that happens to you, I promise that you will step out of it as a completely new person. And you, too, will have your own version of the greatest story ever told to share with those around you. Follow Jesus. Share that story. Feel that life changed.